Coming to you live at the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome back to the Seattle Dining Show, number 1507. It's July and a great time for getaways. We're really fortunate that there are so many unique places close by and, you know, really within an easy driving distance, and we can always find well-made and often locally produced food. So we have a number of places we want to talk about today, but before we do that, Tom and I have two things we want to share with you. Tom, do you want to? Yeah, I want to uh, encourage people to uh, get blood test. Um, if your family has any kind of diabetes running through it, uh, it's pretty simple. You go in, give a little bit of blood, and you can find out where you are on that and maybe save yourself a whole lot of trouble later on. Uh, I'm happy to say that I went and got my blood tested. I've got uh, three brothers all have uh, diabetes, and so I went ahead and got the HA1C which is also known as the hemoglobin test. And, uh, you know, we eat out a lot, right? We do. And we got to really be careful. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't matter if you eat home or you eat out. It's, it's kind of the quality of food you eat that can tip you over the edge. Um, you know, I like brown rice, and uh, I'll take it any day over white rice. White rice is nothing but... but carbohydrates, quick carbs, and that's the kind of stuff that could send me into a diabetic spin if I ate that every day. So now, I have uh, a question for you. Yeah. What if it's whole grain white rice? So the whole grain white rice, yeah, well, that's that's uh, actually not very easy to find. Oh, okay. You still have to go to, like, the bulk department at Whole Foods or Central Market, or, you know, it's not like Uncle Ben's is out there yeah. pitching their whole grain <laughs> white rice. You know, Uncle Ben means well. But um, you know, I I save my uh, my quick carbs for when I have wine, beer, and other substances like that. But uh, but I, I'm I'm happy I got a really good score on the blood test, so it means I'm not going down the road to ruin, and I'm just managing my diet the way I have been for about the last thirty years. And uh, looks when like I'm born. doing something. Yeah, yeah. When I was before I was born. Yeah, that's right. No. <laughs> Um, but, uh, it looks like, uh, I'm not, uh, in any kind of trouble right now. As long as I do that, I'll be in good shape. So, uh, if you need to go get a blood test, like I say, last thing you want to be doing is dealing with shooting insulin and all that kind of stuff later on in your life. So you can nip it in the bud early. In fact, if you're just hypoglycemic, you can reverse that. So, uh. So that that's my, my sort of my public service announcement of the day. <laughs> PSA. So our next little thing before we jump into the getaways is that we had dinner the other night at Tavolata. And I was so incredibly impressed. It was just wonderful food. The service was amazing. It was sort of like being in foodie heaven. The, way, the, one, the woman who served us was so... Uh, into the food herself, and she was like, now I just want you to take time, look at the menu, and you know, for a food person, part of the joy for me of going out is that I love to just peruse the whole menu and look at everything and think about things, 
It's it's oh, that yes, anticipation. You do. Yes, I do. It's the anticipation. And then when you get it and it's better than you even expected. And we had a a pork chop, we had a pasta, we had a heirloom tomato. Oh, oh my yeah. god, that was killer. That was good. And the I think almost the best thing was their spring pea mix that had a creme fraiche in it with a lemon splash. Oh my god, that was amazingly good. So across the board and you know, we had a cocktail, we had some wine, everything was really good. It only took us seven years to get there. Well, we tried to go and you know, they were having a private event that one time. And we and kind of forgot about it after that, didn't we? Well, Ethan just got so busy and opened so many other places we never got back to it. So um <laughs> um I don't know if it's just come come of age after all that time or if it's been this good all the all the while and we've missed it, but really an excellent experience. It was awesome. And we just had to mention it at the front of the show here. So now back to our getaway. You know, when the when the weather's nice like this, you just kind of want to jump in the car and go someplace fun. And we're going to talk about places you can stay. Most of them, almost all of them, have some really great food involved with them too. Um, the first one, kind of a, a duo here, Semiamu up in uh, Bellingham, Blaine actually, and then Cedarbrook um, are owned by the same people. It's the Coastal Hotel Group that manages that. Um, Semiamu is not far away at all, and you feel like you're a million miles from here. Um, it's just a lovely place. It's a calm place. We woke up when we were up there to the sound of what we thought was uh, commuter traffic, and then we realized, well, it was, but it was boats. <laughs> yeah. It was the fishing boats going out. It was like, oh, that's heavenly. And you're not actually in Canada, but when you look across the water, you're looking at Canada. So you can feel like you're like almost out of the country. You've traveled internationally. It's it's wonderful. And Tom had a plan for them uh, bringing Canadian wine in under the radar. I think it was pretty illegal, but and nobody jumped on it. It was a good idea. but Well, we don't know. You know it would oh, be kind of a secret thing, and there would be some boats going back and forth between uh, – between the Canadian shore and then the U.S. shore. And the wine was going to be in crab pots. Yeah, the crab pots would be at the bottom, and then you, you know, go out and pick up your crab pots later, and your buddy is, you know. So, yeah, because it's so hard to get Canadian wine in the U.S., but we figured that was a good way to move it in. Yeah. So if you hear that's happening, don't don't put our names to it, but you no. can thank us privately. And if my name's on the crab pot, I have no idea why. Because <laughs> you're <clears throat> such a crab. Um, Cedarbrook um, is in... SeaTac, Washington, which kind of makes you feel like, what? But it is also a very calming, lovely place with excellent food. Mark Bodinet is a chef there. So if it's in SeaTac, does that mean it has a little commuter traffic going on in the background? A little commuter traffic, some cars, a couple thousand planes, you know. <laughs> but, but you know what? For some reason, when I've been out there, it doesn't bother me. It's not, you know, obviously they've got to be under the the flight plan, but... Um, it's it's really nice, and Mark does an incredible job on the food there. Um, really wonderful. All right, Mr. Marin. Moving on to the next place. <clears throat> well, there's many of these, and we'll be having one open in Bothell very soon. Uh, McMinimums. Uh, Connie and I really like going to the ones down in Oregon. And uh, I'm talking about the the actual ones with the hotels on the property. Um, if you've eaten at McMinimums, you probably are not going to say that it's the most epicureal 
destination in the world. However, it is good to know that the one in Troutdale actually has its own executive chef now, and the food has gone up a few notches. So I love that. Uh, also in Troutdale and in Forest Grove and down in Bend, all three of those feature hot pools. Oh. And they are fantastic. They the, are uh, amazing. The, the setting right there, the landscaping, all that stuff is just beautiful in them. They're really very comfortable. The one end bend is enclosed, but the, it has an Oculus opening in the roof. So if it rains, it'll rain in the middle of the pool. That was funny. None of us realized that. There was a bunch of us on a tour, and we were um, on a motorcycle tour, and we, we were in there. And everybody was like, that's really great that they have like a sunroof. That's fabulous, you know. And then all of a sudden we started wandering, you know, walking through the pool. It was like, why am I getting wet? Yeah. It was raining. Um, the one in uh, McMinnville, which isn't where the name McMinimums came from, but uh, uh, the one in McMinnville has a rooftop bar, which is indoor and outdoor. And that is really a great place to go and enjoy the sunset on a summer night. You've just got a 360-degree view of all of the surrounding area. If it's raining outside, you can go inside the bar. It has a glass roof inside, so you can watch the rain almost get to you. <laughs> but uh, I think those guys, they do a great job. I'm glad to see they pulled it off in Bothell. I can't wait to see the new property when they open that up. And uh, and uh, Tacoma, that's on the uh, on the schedule some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hearing rumors that they're actually buying some property possibly outside of the Newport area. So we'll mm. see that down in Oregon. Mm. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, uh, it's in a little town they call Mulletville. And you do not have to cut your hair that way to go. <laughs> I would hope. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say about? Oh. The thing about McMenamins when you stay there is that they're very odd and eclectic, and they've got lots of little weird art things. And out by the hot pools, there's glass sculptures and metal flowers, and along with regular landscaping, just a really fun atmosphere. In fact, you should spend, you should plan to spend an hour or two. Anytime you go to a McMinimum's re- resort, you're walking into a literal art museum. And it's also, you've got a lot of history about the area where each resort is. So uh, as part of your schedule, you should plan to spend an hour or two just walking through the halls and reading all the walls and mm-hmm. and admiring all the incredible art that goes on inside the, the each of the resorts. They put a lot of work into those. The next one I want to mention is just a little touristy, but you know, once in a while, it's really fun to do, which is Leavenworth. We're not going to talk about any specific place. There's a lot of places to stay. Um, Often the food isn't the best, but there's a new place that's supposed to be opening in June. I'm not sure that it's open yet, and today is, what, the 23rd, so, um, but it's called the Watershed Watershed Cafe, and it's a farm-to-table. So I'm hoping that he, uh, this guy is going to bring something fun and good tasting to Leavenworth. And where will it be located at? I do not know that right now. I don't have that address. I mean, there is good food up at Sleeping Lady, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Around the area, there's a few things. I'm, I was talking about kind of downtown Leavenworth. There's Visconti, which is pretty decent. Um, and, you know, there's a Mexican place, which is no better or worse than any other Mexican place that we've, you know, we haven't found really excellent. I think, you know, in, in five years, if things keep going the way they're going, I think we're going to go to Leavenworth and it's going to be 95 food trucks there. What do you think? <laughs> no. 
because it's so hot to work in a food truck when you're dressed in Bavarian clothes. So uh, if, if, if later hosen isn't your thing and you just want to get out of the country for a while, uh, we're going to recommend you go up to any of the three Fairmont – actually, there's four of them now – any of the four Fairmont hotels up in the Vancouver, B.C. area, as well as the one here in Seattle if you, if you want to stay stateside. Um, food's always good at the restaurants. The, the hotels treat you right. They're very nice and uh, – just a nice place to plop down as you when we go whenever we go up to Vancouver we just walk like crazy so it's a great place that. to kick your feet up when you're done um you know i have a funny story about the and actually this probably says something more about me so it's probably not a good story to tell but i have a, a somewhat older car like it's a 2002 and i was going to the fairmont in seattle and i thought oh, i'm always a little like i'm going to drive up amidst all the luxury vehicles in my corolla and uh, they're going to just give me the eye. So I got out of the car, and the guy looks at me and goes, what year is this? And I thought, oh, my God, they're going to start abusing me for bringing an old car in. This is how paranoid I am. So he looks at me, and he says that, and I said, it's a 2002. He goes, oh, I have a 94. I just love it. Oh, I, thought, that, you, I thought you were going to say he was going to trade it in right there when you were in the hotel. And then <laughs> I've got when a BMW came out, over your here. 2015 Corolla would be waiting yeah, for you. Yeah, my 2015 BMW. But anyway, um, you know, that kind of treatment is what you get. You think it's, well, it is so high-end, it's lovely places, but the people who work there, down-to-earth, make you feel comfortable, nice people. So now we're going to zip out to the ocean in Washington, to Moclips, Washington. And um, Ocean Crest has been there for years. I mean, originally, I'm forgetting now the year they started, but it was like the 30s or something, a woman started it, made her own chowder, and uh, had cabins. And over the years, things changed. And the family who has it now, um, unfortunately, had a big fire uh, in the restaurant a few years back, like four, four or five years back. It is all rebuilt as of last summer. They've got their own chef. They've still got that original chowder recipe. They do really interesting things. Very friendly people. Um, just it's a you're right on the ocean and you just take the stairway down to the beach not a lot of traffic on the beach pedestrian traffic you know it's just it's a, a relaxing great place to be um also an a, a older place i think it goes back over 100 years uh the captain would be in yeah i think they hit 101 didn't they or? yeah oh. yeah so the captain would be in um up on Whidbey island on sort of Almost uh, about two-thirds of the way up north. Um, nice old rustic place. It's been uh, purchased by a new owner, and he's done a nice job of fixing everything that was messed up. And but leaving it as it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it still feels to me the way it felt the day I woke it, walked in there in uh, uh, year 2000. That's when they blew up the kingdom, right? I don't remember that. I, I watched them blowing up the kingdom on TV in the hallway upstairs in oh, the wow. Captain Whidbey Inn. Oh, wow. At that point, uh, at that time, Captain John pulled a TV out, and everybody got to gather around the TV and watch them blow up the kingdom. You know, isn't that typical? You're on Whidbey Island, you're in these beautiful settings, and everybody's in a, in a hallway watching a TV of a building exploding. Well, I don't I know. know. It's, it's historical. It's historic. And so many people were happy. Yeah, that it was gone. 
Uh, if you need to get a little drier, well, where can you go now and not be dry? But um, down Yakima Canyon, we like the Canyon River Ranch down there. Uh, they've got rooms down there, and then they've got uh, the restaurant. And I think they're still doing a little snack stand outside in the summer. I'm not sure if they are know. or not. Oh, they've got that out. nice patio out there now. Yeah, they probably just do it off the Yeah. So you can sit there and watch the river go by and watch people do their fishing thing. And and uh, that's a beautiful little place. And we didn't see it when we were there, but it's right across the – Ranch is right on the river, the river, and then the hills go up. And there's supposed to be a lot of wildlife that you can sit. So sit in the hot tub or sit on the patio and just stare at the hills for a while. Eventually, you're going to see something. If nothing else, you'll see the train go by. Which is, I, I like just trains. watched that on the chambers open. I watched the train well, going by a yeah. lot. You know, Washington is really becoming a train place. Can't be at Safeco Field without that. Now Chambers Bay. And I, I must document, uh, I believe it was yesterday morning, uh, this is just after the Chambers Bay golf tournament, uh, that the uh, county council had to have an emergency meeting to, uh, to decide if they were going to change the name of the golf course from Chambers Bay to Spieth Pit. It's a, it has a ring to it. Yeah, it's easier to say. Yeah. You know, it's a shorter, and less just syllables. Like, I'm going to SP. You know. <laughs> well, if we head back toward the water, but very close in, we also like the Edgewater and Six Seven Restaurant. Um, last time we were there, we had a room that had a wood ceiling, and every time I would wake up, I think I was like in the hull of a ship. You could hear the water, and you had this beautiful wood above you. And the surprising part about this, since we're talking about trains, is that you're right on the what it's not Alaska Way, but um, maybe it is the street, and then you've got the the train tracks right there. Mm-hmm. I never heard the only time I heard I heard uh, like a whistle, and then I never heard the train go by. It's it's really well insulated, so you're not yeah. hearing that all the time. But um, it's so. This list that we have here is kind of long. Can we do the other half of this on the next show? Because we certainly can. we're coming up here to the point where we need to move on. Our diners need to take a break, <laughs> and we do too. So we'll be right back with uh, with news bites. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by. Alexandria Nicole Sellers, wines of approachable elegance with tasting rooms in Prosser and Woodenville. This is Jeremy McLaughlin, chef with Salty Seafood Grills, and you are listening to The Seattle Dining Show. talk about our news bites, which are things happening around town and elsewhere. Um, you can keep up with our news bites as they happen by following our Twitter account at Seattle Dining One or reading the news bites column at seattledining.com. One of the first things I wanted to mention was some stuff going on at Salish Lodge. They, in May, um, opened a thing called Chef's Studio. It's an interactive cooking and dining space overlooking the falls. 
Um, along with that, in June, they started a series, food and beverage series, called Culinary Adventures. So um, you get to kind of interact with executive chef Stephen Snook. He's highlighting local seasonal ingredients, as they always have there. They have an educational series, monthly canning classes, Salish Sips, a wine and beer dinner series. Uh, a lot going on. Some of that uh, was going on through June, but we have other things. Well, they fed all their calendar dates into us, and I remember yeah. we kind of got swamped. They're doing like two or three things a month. Yeah, they're going through a long time. So get out on their website or get out on our calendar and uh, take a look at what they're doing because that looks like a lot of fun things. Now, another thing that's happening, and we have yet to get down there, we're going to be down there on the 29th, is the Goldfinch Tavern. And this is Ethan Stoll's new restaurant as a partnership with the Four Seasons Hotel. And, you know, as you probably all know, people in Seattle have a thing about hotel restaurants. These guys are trying to break the mold a little and say, this is a local guy. It's not a hotel restaurant that, you know, some corporate mucky muck in Great Falls decided was going to be in here. And it's going to work for us. So it's kind of a different look at things. I'm anxious to see what it's like. I think we do a good job of that in this town with some of our restaurants that are in hotels. You know? Actually, they're very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the ones that Tom Douglas has, and yeah. then there's the uh, the one a couple of doors down from, uh, oh, what, oh, <laughs> dead air, dead air. There's always the trace. That's from the, Lola. What's the place down the Asagio? street? Asagio? Yeah, Asagio. Yeah. Trace at the W Hotel. Yeah. Um, actually, the people don't often think about this, but the um, Georgian Room oh, yeah. is great That's at true. the at the uh, Four Seasons. Not the Four Seasons. What am I trying to say? The, the Fairmont. Olympic. The Fairmont. Oh, the Fairmont. Fairmont yeah. Olympic. So, um, upcoming, and they're hoping to be open by July first. We'll see about that. That didn't look very uh, close to me when I walked by, but there's a place called Ito's in West Seattle, and that's um, going to be Moroccan fusion and tapas-style food, which I think is really not only interesting in general, but certainly there's nothing quite like that in West Seattle. So I'm um, interested to see how that comes about. But it's not, it's not Moroccan fusion and tapas-style. No, tapas. Okay. I okay. like to be clear about that. <clears throat> and interestingly, the guys, it's two brothers who are opening it, Khalid and Aziz Agur, and they're brothers, and they live in West Seattle, so they're trying to bring something to their own neighborhood, which is nice. But you don't eat with your do you eat with your fingers at that one, uh, or we'll find out. Well, tapas you would a lot of tapas you do pick up with your fingers, but that you're thinking Ethiopian or something. Oh, okay. So. Let's see. Did you have a something about Father's Day you wanted to bring up, even though it's over? Well, you know our friend Ron Holden, who does uh, what's the what's the uh, in your glass? No, no, no. What's his Cornishon? Web- Cornishon website. Yeah, he was asking the other day because it was Father's Day. And he was asking the other day if if you should use the apostrophe or not use the apostrophe. So uh, I had a response back to Ron, and I said, uh, Ron, if your father is or was possessive, then use the apostrophe. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm glad we can help Ron out like that. Yeah, and you know, my <clears throat> my grammar, my grasp on English grammar, I mean, you can tell. Yeah. I got it, you know. <laughs> yes, epicurial. I noticed that earlier. Yeah, I just make them up. If yeah. they don't have the word, I just make it up. And you know what? Often in the scheme of what you're saying, 
everyone knows what you mean. So, Hey, here's a new news bite. Tell us something about Cuban sandwiches in Seattle. Cuban sandwiches in Seattle. I'll tell you two things are happening Cuban sandwich-wise. Rumba on Pike um, is Travis Rosenthal's second place, and they have just opened for lunch as of June 22nd. So they're doing Cuban sandwiches and daiquiris on the patio, so that will be fun. Also, in another uh, Cuban sandwich twist, the two sons of Lorenzo Lorenzo, who had Paseo, which, of course, threw the city into panic when it closed, and then somebody bought all the recipes and reopened, and there are lines outside there still. Now, the sons have opened their own sandwich place. And they say it's very different, but they've painted it pink, and they are serving Cuban sandwiches. So. And I can tell you how to find it. Oh. It's where the Burger Hero was on 15th Avenue Northwest in Ballard. And all you got to do is go up 15th Avenue Northwest and look for the Burger Hero sign because they didn't up. take it down. Well, you know what? I know some people at National Sign Company, and since I've known them, I've realized – how incredibly expensive it is yeah, to put up a sign, but also to take it down. Yep. There's a lot of signs around town, I've noticed, that are still up. So I would guess they're making their own sign, and once it gets done, they will go up there and retrieve the old one and send it over to Mohai. <laughs> yeah, because it was there for so long, and it meant so much to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, up on Queen Anne, the Bounty Kitchen has opened. Now, they took the place of Grub, um, and they are doing organic salads, sandwiches, soups, juices from local producers. So they've got some interesting good stuff going on. We have not had a chance to get down there and eat yet. But it's nice to have uh, somebody who's focused on a, a good, healthy diet. And I'm sure there's a lot of stuff in there that's not going to be great for you. So you can still go and enjoy it. But the, it's nice to have that, uh, that option. I'm being a good boy. <laughs> Yes, we looked at the breakfast menu, and he wouldn't stay because they didn't have any bacon or sausage. So we came back and made breakfast here, and it was awesome. It was. It was. It was a great uh, omelet, and we had Dave's Killer Bread and shared a smoothie. It was fabulous. Uh, coming, they're saying late June. Well, it could still happen. It's papered up still right now, which is actually ideal for a butcher shop being papered up. Joke. Yeah, um, but just wonder what they're going to use that paper for when they take it down. Yeah. You think they'll save it and recycle it? And, and no, wrap the meat in it. Yeah, wrap the meat it. in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just ignore those spider webs. <laughs> anyway, A and J Meats was up on Queen Anne, and everybody was shocked and appalled when the people who owned it retired, as if they shouldn't. But as it turns out, it's coming up to be B and E Meats. Now these guys have, I believe, three other locations. Uh, more South End, uh, uh, not White Center, Burien and a couple other places, maybe Federal Way. So um, they're experienced. They've all, always got off, already have it down. But this Some, is not the guy who did the bill, the butcher. Oh, no. Okay. No, no. That would be Bill. But um, no, this is a, a family owned. This is actually they're in their third generation. Oh, wow. Of running B&E Meats. It was uh, Bob and Ed or something, you know. And it's. Uh, one of their sons has been running it now. His daughter is in the business. So, um, oh, they have four other locations. So that's kind of exciting to have a butcher back up on Queen Anne. Let's see. What what do you know about the North Star Diner, Tom? This is more in your area. 8580 Greenwood Avenue. 
Um, that would be on the east side of the street, right where and where right around where uh, Olive Oil and Company is. Or not Olive Oil and Company. What's that? Uh, the Olive and Grape. Oh yeah. I I just took a walk all through there. I know nothing about this. I have not seen a North Star Diner. Mm-hmm. They were hoping to open by 1st of July, so I oh, thought they must be. This you know. is like right where Gainsborg is, oh, yeah. kind of the Crosswalk yeah. Cafe and all that. I, I, don't, I don't know about this. Uh, I know that on the kitty corner where the hair salon used to be on the corner of, mm-hmm. of uh, Greenwood and 85th, 85th uh, that's supposed to be the lodge, but that's all kind of been papered up for a long time, too. So I don't know what's going on in there. I do know across the street, there's that uh, steakhouse. Creek. that Flint Creek. No, Flint Cattle. No, Flint. It is Creek. Flint Creek. I was okay. right the first time. So that that's uh, they, they've got that papered up. Oh, there's a lot of paper, a lot of butcher paper going to be available in this town pretty soon. <laughs> B&E's not going to have to buy any paper ever. But, you know, I, I want to do a whole show sometime on Greenwood because um, things have changed a lot a in lot. there in the last two years. And there's some uh, conglomerates of people up there, people that own four or five places and different partnerships. And it's a whole, I think it's a whole show sometime. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of change. I remember running into somebody, uh, another writer at an event, and she had moved into the area, and she goes, we just wish there was some decent food. And it's like she has got her wish. It's coming like wildfire. Yeah, the, the Ridge Pizza down there, that's a good place. Yeah. Uh, the Chaco Canyon, although it's vegetarian, I went in there. Uh, I'd already had my bacon fix in the morning, so I was good. <laughs> but uh, they, I had a good lunch there one day, and uh, I always liked Mr. Euro's. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just did a little remodel in there. You can't hardly tell, but uh, I think they installed a sneeze guard at the counter. Um, <laughs> but no, actually what they did was they took the center seating out of the tiny room and just kind of put it bordered all around the, the okay. outside of the area there. Um, anyways, just so much going on up there. I think we should do a whole show. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Um, food truck-wise, the Mobile Mavens are uh, on the roll, and they are bringing out three new trucks. The Guy Box, which is kitchen Lil Blue, which is beverage, and Picnic, which is, you know, quick sandwiches and stuff. Um, They are doing, on the 30th, I believe it is, their kind of grand opening from 7.30 to 9 down at the Olympic Sculpture Park. So I'm sure it's a purchase deal, but they're going to have the trucks there, and you can go down and try the food. And So that will be a fun thing to see what they're up to. Let's see. Oh, do you want to talk about RUI? Yeah, if you look on our Twitter feed, you'll see a a post that um, somebody put up. I think it was me. And (laughs) I said, uh, discontinuing all RUI follows until they figure out the robotic posting is a dead end. So if you go and you look at the Twitter feeds on any uh, RUI restaurant up here in the area, and that might include Palisade, uh, would include the Palomino, it would include Stanford's, um, you'll, you'll start to see a repetition. And it, what, what appears to be going on is somebody is programming their tweets and then using them and recycling them uh, something between every 8 and 72 hours. Um, and it, it became annoying and, you know, I want to know what's going on at these restaurants, but I don't want to see the same tweet about, have you tried our happy hour? What's your favorite fish? What's your favorite seafood? Yeah. So, uh, so I just continued all our, uh, likes 
on the Twitter feed. And uh, when I get that straightened out, I'll be looking forward to uh, getting some, some real organic material from them again. Yeah. A quick one before we close out here is that uh, back to kind of food truck things, although it's not a food truck. Marination, which started as a food truck, is opening their sixth business. These guys are doing great. Hawaiian Korean Fusion Plus More. It's uh, 3714 South Hudson in Columbia City looking for this fall, and they'll have a beer garden. So pretty <laughs> exciting. All right. We'll be right back with calendar highlights for July. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by the Fireside Restaurant, located at the resort at Port Ludlow. Hello, I'm Larry Graham with Queen Anne Olive Oil, and welcome to the Seattle Dining Show. Turned, and we're going to talk about what's happening on the calendar, what's coming up. And also, if you want to look at this at any time, you just go to seattledining.com, click on calendar, and you can see what's going on around town. One of the first things that's coming up on July 7th is Crafts in the Draft. Now, this is at Tulalip Resort Casino, and you may have heard us talk about this before. They do this as a series, and it's um, the draft is their... Uh, Sports bar. I thought they had like a wind tunnel or something. Yeah, well, that's the other side of it, and it is fun. But but if you want to drink beer, it's easier to just do it on the beer side. Um, and what they do is they have four featured pours, and they'll talk about the different nuances and flavors. They'll pair them with a selection of scrumptious appetizers. So it's kind of a fun thing to do. And then our favorite uh, sommelier, Dieter Schaefer, has another three-week class starting Wine Tour de France. So um, that's so on. For three weeks, you yes. ride your bicycle around France and, and, and drink, drink wine? And drink. It's, he is amazing for his age how he can ride that bike for three weeks that way. <laughs> um, but he, I think he practices a lot at home and on the hills. So. You see his uh, sponsor is Cordon Bleu, right? Uh, well, he, he, it's through the um, South Seattle. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's, yeah. No, I'm talking about on his bicycle. Oh, on jersey. his bicycle. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. It's about Art Institute, South Seattle, you know, all his favorite places but this is a tour through 12 french regions so that's going to be very fun and then we talked um a little bit earlier about salish lodge and spa's culinary adventure series and on the 8th of july they're doing a summer grilling um, salmon tips on selecting the perfect cut deboning seasoning and grilling so that's going to be a really fun one i think and then the 9th it's wine rock seattle is back this is its eighth time which is a it's a great thing not-for-profit gathering of local winemakers, craft brewers, and musicians showcasing exceptional wine, beer, groovy tunes, savory fare, and a hell of a backdrop. And that is being said because I do not know where it is. Uh, There's something about a view of the Olympics from the... uh, Oh, what's where it is? Interesting. We're going to have to find that out for you. We'll put that in there. Yeah, because I would like to know that myself. Now, you want to talk about the Casper's Barbecue Cooking Class. So Casper's going to have a barbecue cooking class. You know, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I need to start barbecuing meats at home. And I don't mean burgers. He's talking about 
he's talking about pork and that sort of thing, right? It doesn't actually say here in the description what's in the barbecue. Oh. So we'll have to we'll we'll, we'll fill that one in too and let you know. He well he may I think I got this from directly from their website, so um okay. it may he may not have said that. Speaking of barbecue, um I went to a, a place this week and I'm not gonna name the name of it, but it wasn't it just didn't blow my mind at all. Uh, in fact, the pulled pork sandwich was more like they cut it into cubes. Oh, yeah, it's a very disappointing. And uh, I think I, I, I think I would like to have Casper go around to a lot of these barbecue places and <laughs> teach him how to do barbecue. So maybe his barbecue cooking class should not be for the average Joe. It should be for the restaurateur who's trying to do a barbecue shop. Yeah, he could do several levels of this. Yeah, you know so, he's got enough space now, probably in his new area over there in Magnolia. We should make this suggestion to him. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, you, you are not going to be able to, at least, maybe they have it now, but it says on the bottom of here, stay tuned for the barbecue menu as Casper is creating it now. Ah, okay. But okay. I, that that was up a while ago. He may he probably has it because it's happening on the 12th. So right, right on our calendar, July. we have a link to www.caspers.com, and maybe you'll be able yeah. to see it when you hear this. Now, the next big thing after that coming up is Kirkland Uncorked, and this I'm not sure how many years this has been going, but it's been a number of years. Bold Hat Productions put this on, and it's a summer food and wine festival, weekend long. They've got two kind of things going on. They've got an all-ages street fair, and then they've got the 21 and over beer and wine garden. Um, There are bite-sized fees from local Eastside restaurants. There, they on Sunday they have a food truck come in. They've got um, wine tasting, grilling demonstrations, live music. Friday night they have a burger brawl. A bunch of people are doing sliders, and you get to vote on your favorite slider. Um, I think this is fun. They've got the City Dog, which is a magazine, the City Dog Dog Modeling Contest. So you can bring your dog down, and he might end up, he or she might end up as the cover dog. Could you dress up a large hot dog and bring that down and model that? Not in a group of foodies. That thing's going to get eaten. It's not going to be pretty. Because that seems like it would be more appropriate for a food event than actually having dogs, you know, with four legs. It's part of the street fair. There's also a boat show. The Seattle Boat Show puts on a boat show for the Kirkland Uncorked Affair. So the street fair part that's all ages is not all about food and wine. Got it. So it's it's a whole community thing. So that's very fun. That's the 17th, Well, maybe 18th, in 2016 19th. we'll have the Seattle Dining Dog Modeling Contest, and we'll do it my way. I think we should do a cat modeling contest since we have cats. <laughs> Can't get them to sit still, but um, this is not totally food-related, but I think it sounds fun. The Triple Door is starting their movie Mondays, and it's starting July 6th through August 31st. So all summer it's a sci-fi series. So for $5, you get a reserve seat, a draft beer or a well drink or a house wine, and watch the movie. And, of course, obviously, there will be food there that you can buy. All for 5 bucks. 5 bucks. You for, get a drink and a movie for 5 bucks. The drink, the movie, and a reserve seat. It's not like you have to scramble in and you, wow. know, you, you get a seat for sure. So I think that sounds pretty fun. That sounds kind of fun. At the end of July, out at Port Ludlow, they're doing a Northern Italy Vias dinner. So that's with Chris Zimmerman um, of Vias Imports. So that's going to be um, a seven-course dinner. You know, this is pretty amazing, actually. It's $95 for a seven-course dinner. 
That's, that's a good deal nowadays. That's, yeah, that's pretty. At 95 is not a bad deal, and it's usually a three- or four-course meal. This is seven. I remember when we started this magazine 16 years ago, and wine dinners were running about 85 to 125 bucks back then. Yeah. Now, when you say 95 and you figure your inflation 16 years later, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, that's quite a, quite a thing that will be very fun. And, of course, you can always... Uh, Go and come home or go and stay at the lot, the resort, which is always fun. Those tickets are available through brown paper tickets. The other thing that's coming up in August is Sunset Supper at the Market, and that is always a very fun thing if you've never been. Um, if you have the money and a, and a group of friends, you can get a big table in one of the center tents, and then you always have a place to come back to. You can go out and get food and wine and come back. Otherwise, you're wandering, which is still fun, but um, it gets busy and you're, and you're trying to juggle food and wine and stuff. They have live music. There's dancing. Um, a lot of restaurant people have booths there. It's great food all the time. And it's right in the summer. It's always one of those warm nights where you don't need a sweater and you're just drinking and eating outdoors at the market. It's a, it's a great, um, really fun event. And the last thing I will mention is that Cooking with Class, the fundraiser that we sponsor, is coming in September, on September 15th. And we're bringing up now because sometime in early July the tickets will be available. You can go out on seattledining.com and look toward the bottom of the page. We've got a a little article about it that we're updating each month. Um, So you can kind of see what the chefs are, what the dishes are. Also a very fun event where you, hands-on, make a dish with a chef, and you get to pick three chefs. So you're making three dishes throughout the evening. It's a lot of fun. There's nothing like it. There really is nothing like it. And it's a, a fundraiser, so that's always, you, you feel like you're doing well for someone and you're having a great time at the same time. So that is it. We are going to come back right after our break with our first guest. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Ray's Boathouse and Cafe. Uh, this is Casper Grenier. I'm the owner of Casper Special Event and Catering, and welcome to the Seattle Dining Show. We're happy today to have Chef Stu Navarre, who's the executive chef for Local 360 and Bell & Wheat European Kitchen and Lounge in Belltown. Welcome, Stu. Hey, thanks for having me, Connie. You bet. Hey, we've got some questions for you. The first one I wanted, I was looking at your bio, and it said you've combat fished for salmon on the Kenai River and kayak fished for sharks in the Gulf. I don't know what combat fishing is. That sounds scary to me. <laughs> yeah, it can be a little scary. Um, uh, my father worked in the oil industry, so we lived all over, and Alaska was one of those places. And uh, he used to uh, take me down fishing, and when the salmon runs would come through on the Kenai and the Russian River, uh, there'd be people five feet next to each other lined up for miles trying to catch these fish. So oh um, it got pretty dangerous, dangerous the hooks and, and, <laughs> oh my God. and weights flying everywhere. And, and uh, yeah, people from all over the world came to do it. So there are language barriers and... Uh, fish flying all over. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I, I saw fights on the on the on the river for for good uh, good fishing spots too. So you'd oh see you see grown men fighting over a fishing spot. <laughs> it's almost like the Seafair Parade downtown. I'd imagine so. Yeah, <laughs> minus the giant cannon, minus the clowns. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's the scariest part. Clowns. <laughs> <laughs> so what about? Fishing for sharks. That sounds really dangerous to me, too. Yeah. Um, Are these all specials on the menu coming up? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Not quite 360 miles, but uh, yeah. um, I wish. Um, yeah, so uh, my uh, my folks moved us down to Texas when I was young, and, and uh, I started – I loved to fish, so I learned how to fish down there, and I soon bought a 50-pound, 12-foot kayak and wow. uh, started fishing and, and uh, decided that – uh, going out to the Gulf and catching sharks would be a good idea. Um, I mean, I was in my mid twenties, yeah. so um, when nothing can hurt you, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but we'd go out, and uh, you'd only go on good days when it was flat, calm. Um, but you'd go out with other people, and you'd have VHF radios and tell the Coast Guard you were going. But you'd, uh, yeah, you'd uh, fish with live bait and let five, six, seven foot spinner sharks and black black tip sharks pull you around. It's pretty fun. It's mostly catch and release, but we'd harvest oh a few. Oh my god! And so it was like a ride. Yeah, yeah. They called it a Texas sleigh ride. <laughs> <laughs> You just hang on and hope they don't go to Cuba. Yeah, exactly. Let go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is my best rod. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What do you do with it? Are there uh, hooks or uh, catches on a kayak where you can put your fishing rod or something? Yeah. It's like there's not storage for something like that on a yeah, kayak. When I first started kayak fishing, there was uh, there weren't many kayaks that were designed for fishing. You kind of had to rig your own with milk crates and PVC oh, pipes and, and uh, stainless steel nuts and bolts. Uh, nowadays, um, I don't I don't have one that's like this, but uh, nowadays they've got um, they have kayaks that have fishing rod holders and live well okay. bait tanks, and I okay. mean they're they're huge. They're they, they're just as efficient as a as a, a real oh uh, fishing boat. So but I bet they're a little more than fifty pounds. Yeah, and, yeah, a little bit more expensive than I paid for it. <laughs> yeah. So so if you catch a shark and they're going to harvest it. I've got to guess that this just stays in the water and you tow it in on your line back to to land, huh? Yeah, um, I, I I probably I probably caught twenty or thirty sharks and, and probably harvest maybe four or five of those. But the biggest ones, you just cut the tail uh, while it's on the oh. hook, cut the tail and let it bleed out um, okay. until it's it has no more life, and then uh, you've got a you've got a um, um, a big uh, open area in the front of the kayak and put its head in there and paddle in. Uh, wow, doesn't that uh, bleeding out draw other sharks? No, you'd think it would, but it doesn't. And it doesn't take too long. Um, but but sharks actually, uh, they'll get ammoniated if you just let them die like a fish, so you have yeah. to bleed them out that way. But oh, okay. No, it wouldn't create like you'd think a feeding, a feeding frenzy. frenzy. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, a kayak damaging frenzy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe they take it as a, a severe warning. This is what happens to you. Don't get near this kayak. Maybe, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> It gets a little funky when you cut the tail off and you stick the head up in the front of the kayak and then the thing wakes up. That gets a little funky. And you know what? They're not happy. <laughs> Luckily, that never happened. <laughs> so another thing you've done is been a private chef on a yacht. So what's, what are the pros and cons of that? Yeah, um, it's an amazing, amazing job, and I encourage anyone to go do it if they have no ties to the mainland. Oh. Um, uh, it's great money. You get to travel and see the world. Um, but you know, you, 
uh, if you're if you're not single, it's not probably not going to work out. Yeah. Um, but you you're at the mercy of the owner of the boat, and you go anywhere they tell you to at, at a moment's notice. Wow. Uh, pros and cons as far as the food goes, if you find a good owner, a good a good crew that will let you cook what you want, then you can you can push yourself and cook whatever yeah. you want. I, I was lucky enough to have work for two owners that really loved food, and one that used to be a restaurant owner, and he liked yeah. to have four, five, six course meals, and so I got to really oh, push myself. Fun. Yeah. But you can get you can get. Uh, uh, paired up and work for some owners that you want, you know, what mac and cheese every day, which I guess oh. that's not a problem, but it gets a little bit boring. Yeah, I guess if you're getting paid really well <laughs> yeah. and you know you're traveling the world, it's okay. But if if you do it because you love food, that's a drag. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you got your Bachelor of Science in Restaurant Management, and I'm just wondering if you felt that you needed that to be an executive, a really effective executive chef, or was it something that you were still pondering on which way to go? Should I go into management? Should I go into chefing? Should Sure. Uh, yeah, you know, I always, I always knew that I wanted to get uh, a ba- my bachelor's degree after culinary school, um, and I think I'm really glad that I did because, uh, like I tell all my sous chefs, you know, cooking's the easy part. It's managing that's the hard part. Yes. And, and uh, you know, dealing with the day in and day out, people calling in sick, and and dealing with different uh, different personalities and <clears throat> different just dealing with all that. That really the the food ends up being the easy part. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's the one you love. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, no, I'm 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 really happy that I did that, and uh, I think that that an executive chef, you know, as an executive chef, you really you really kind of take off the wheel a little bit. You don't do as much cooking. Uh, yeah. As most people think, uh, you're you're developing people and showing other uh, your sous chefs and your cooks how to how to do that and make yeah. specials and you know hiring the right people. That's, yeah. that's the most important part. And this is one of Tom's and my pet peeves about restaurants: is you go in sometime and it's fabulous, and you go in the next time and it's it's okay, mm-hmm. and you think what? And then somebody said, "Oh well, you know, Chef Stew wasn't here tonight," and it's like, "Well, Chef Stew's not doing his job then, <laughs> because everybody should be trained." To do it in his absence, you know, you can't uh, be sure. there all the time. So, so I love hearing you say that. You know, you're developing people and doing that because that's what makes a su- successful and consistent restaurant. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Especially a restaurant that's open seven days a week. You work seven days a week here and run yourself into the ground. Yeah, so. and you're not going to have a life. This is true. No you know? fishing. No kayak fishing. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. <laughs> so you have a history of working at places that support local producers. Is that? Um, you know, what started you on that? Was it those early experiences of fishing and being out in the wild or, um, you know, and what drew you to, is that what drew you to Local 360 and Bell and Wheat? Yeah, I think, I think I've always uh, tried to cook as local and as seasonal as possible. Um, it's honestly, it's easier to cook that way because you let the ingredients speak for themselves. It sounds cliche, but it's cliche yeah. for a reason. Yeah. Um, it's easier to access the good stuff when it's available. Yeah, absolutely. Especially up here in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Um, at a restaurant I worked at in Houston, uh, we were kind of one of the first uh, to to do the farm to table, you know, to to showcase the farmers' names on the menu. Yeah. You know, it was twelve, uh, thirteen years ago. Wow! Um, and it was and, pretty high end place too, wasn't it? Um, it or was, was it casual? It was it was upscale casual. Okay, uh, yeah, it was upscale casual. It was a place where you can come and get a, a killer burger, or you could have a great date night and spend, you know, uh, do do three or four courses. Yeah, kind of kind of pick your. Um, uh, Pick your your uh, your story how you, oh, how, yeah. how you wanted your your, your night to go your theme yeah exactly but we were one of the one of the first to kind of do the farm to table thing in Houston and, and uh, now it's uh, now it's uh, really taken off and, and Houston has an amazing food scene so oh, I've yeah. always kind of gravitated towards that and okay. uh, yeah I think I think what you're saying 
uh, fishing and and and, and uh, foraging. And yeah. That's that's I was a, a fisherman before I was a chef, so that's what yeah. that's why I decided to cook for a living. So oh, okay, yeah, absolutely, they definitely go hand in hand. Yeah, and you always used everything you captured. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, most uh, most of the fishing community just fillets the fish and uses just the the meat and you know i was i would learn how to use the bellies and the head and make stocks and oh wow and not throw anything away so yeah you know. way back yeah <laughs> i mean not that you're that old i'm sorry I don't, I don't mean to imply that was you know in the 30s or something would you actually use like like uh like fish bones or the skull of a shark or something to make a, a broth yeah you can in fact uh, um i i never thought about doing that until um i, har- I harvested like a five-foot hammerhead and brought it to the beach and a lady came up to me after I cut the fillets off and said, "Hey, can I have? I'd love to buy the head from you." I said, and she said, "Join the fins too." And I said, uh, "Well, you, you can just have them." And uh, uh, I wasn't going to sell them to her. I said, "You can just have them." And the next one I harvested, I actually used those and made soup with. Yeah, it was pretty okay. good. Mm. Yeah, shark yeah. fin soup. <laughs> you you paid for that lesson. Yeah, absolutely. So, anyway, throwing this away for it was great yeah, stuff. Exactly. <laughs> um, do you, you would use something like that in a? A sauce for a fish or something, just like a a beef stock or a yeah, sure. Like if you're making you? a chowder instead of using water, yeah. just straight cream or milk. You know, you yeah. use a, a fish stock. Um, you can do all kind of stuff with 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 stocks. I'd really encourage you not to throw away any of that that good yeah. stuff. Yeah, because yeah. I know that I've seen recipes for like crab soups, and it's always the the shell is used because mm-hmm. that's where the flavor is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Now you worked at Canlis, which is much more formal than where you are now. Do you have a preference, or in your mind, is it all just about the food? It's what you're creating. I don't. I don't know if I have a preference. I loved I uh, the, the fine dining versus you know upscale casual versus kind of a more market feel. I love you. I love every different every aspect of it. Yeah. Um, the I've diners take- want to know what what was your position at uh, Canlis? Um, I was the chef de brigade. So um, okay, there was the executive chef. Executive sous chef and then uh, chef de brigade. Okay. Uh, kind of gave uh, gave all the other sous chefs a day off working the different stations. Oh, okay. Um, That's kind of a good position, actually. You learn everything. Yeah, you learn everything, and it keeps it uh, fresh and, and yeah. exciting. Um, but uh, you know, you take a lot away from that type of uh, kitchen. You know, Chef Jason Franny was amazing uh, at, at organization and oh. consistency. And you know, I learned to write all recipes in grams and uh, be very specific on everything that you ask for. Um, and not leave anything uh, um, up for questioning. So, um, oh. very precise kitchen and extremely clean too. So that's oh, wow. one thing I took away from there. Yeah, boy, that cleanliness thing is huge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You, uh, you know, I, we've been to restaurants and it's like, in fact, there's one I'm not going to mention in a part of town. I'm not going to mention, <laughs> but um, it is so popular. And I've been in to have a meal and and it scares me. And I don't even know what that means about the kitchen. So you know. And yet people love it. I don't know. And I'm not hearing that it's being closed down or that anyone's getting sick. So, but, It doesn't you know, always score well in a health department rating. So, But that's what I mean. I haven't – well, I haven't looked it up lately either. But I haven't seen anything bad hmm. about it. But, you know, you just like to know that that kitchen is clean. Yeah. And that translates – when you have a clean, organized kitchen, that translates into other aspects too. So yeah. uh, it just kind of becomes the culture of the restaurant. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um. I'm curious about how it works with you overseeing two kitchens because I've talked to other chefs sometimes and it can get crazy. Now you, of course, well, the two you're doing are within 360 and not. So you've got two separate things going on. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit, maybe for our 
listeners. Tell us a little bit about Local 360 and Bell and & Wheat and then what it is like to do to kind of oversee both. Sure, sure. Uh, so Local 360, we've been open for uh, almost five years there. Um, wow. The restaurant sources 90% of its ingredients from 360 miles of the restaurant itself. So uh, that allows us to go as far north as Port Hardy, the northern part of Vancouver, as far south as the Oregon-California border, okay. uh, most of Idaho, all of Washington, all of Oregon, and uh, the majority of the southern growing region of British Columbia. Um, so we actually have a lot to pick from, but yeah. that's definitely hard in the winter. Yeah. Um, definitely hard in the winter, but uh, uh, you know that's everything from fish to meat to grains to um, all of our liquors, beer and wine at the bar, yeah. <clears throat> um, produce. Um, everything that we can, we do our diligence and, and do as much as we can. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's, a um, kind of Americana, uh, ca- uh, upscale casual restaurant, a uh, little bit of Southern influence, obviously Northwest ingredients. And then the other <laughs> restaurant is Bell and Wheat and it's just up, uh, just one block up on second and Bell, <clears throat> uh, kind of a modern European restaurant. We, we take some influences from the Normans, loose, loosely take some influences from the Normans and, and uh, their uh, different areas that they conquered and the influences that they brought back. Um, but it basically means that we can kind of do whatever we want within the European umbrella. Yeah, which uh, is huge. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, we have 66 beers on tap and 80 different gins. So our bar program is a big part of what we do also. And our food, uh, we, we, we um, cook with a lot of beer. And our food, really, we try and pair with, the, with beer and, 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 and gin and, and craft cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do, you actually have artisanal tonics. We do. Yeah, we have a tonic on tap, Marley's Tonic. Um, Marley's an amazing local bartender who makes her own tonic in West Seattle, and she brings it to us. Yeah, she brings it to us once a week, a keg of it, and it's delicious. It it blows anything you buy at the Uh store out of the water. So on Local 360, um, is there some storage, maybe even off-site that you use? Like when berries come in, you store a lot of berries in a freezer or refrigeration um, you know, we do some preserving in the in the summer, especially uh, we preserve a lot of peppers, a lot of relishes um, mm-hmm. um, uh, when when things are in full bloom like that. Um, but we also try and cook seasonally, so that means in the winter we're not using berries. In the winter we're using apples and pears, oh, okay. And, okay, and stuff okay. like that. So, but you know, you'll see uh, jams and jellies and stuff that are. Uh, locally made, um, you know, a lot of the purveyors will have frozen berries twelve months out of the year that are that they were local too. Oh, okay. So luckily, we don't have to have giant freezers or or uh, you know uh, big underground yeah. storage facilities to do that. So. Yeah, like don't get into making smoothies, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> gin smoothies. There you go. Tell good. With kale, yeah. it's good for you. That sounds good. It's we don't want a gin smoothie. Nine forty-five. Do gin smoothie. Let's wrap this up and get going here. <laughs> Um, so what's it like to oversee two of them? I mean, they're kind of opposite ends. Yeah, they're very different. Um, you know, although we do through the whole 360 thing at 360, we stick to that as much as we can at Bell and Wheat. It's just kind of a culture of of, yeah. of Seattle chefs and, and what we do. Like, you know, why wouldn't you? Um, yeah. Uh, with the, the bounty that we have up here, uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely a challenge for sure. Running two restaurants, I have a, uh, a chef de cuisine at each restaurant. Okay. They're awesome, uh, just a great staff and great kitchen who who can uh, support it and and uh, you know give them freedom to do what they want, create specials and and come up with many ideas. So uh, because honestly, I get tired of my own ideas. Uh, yeah, you know, it's good to have that collaboration. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it can definitely be tough. But I guess the answer is is uh, you know have a great crew like I do and, and, uh, yeah, shout yeah. out to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things that doesn't matter what the industry is. I remember when I discovered it and I was 
managing a department at an insurance company, when all of a sudden I realized there were all these other managers, and they were going through the same thing, and I could talk to them, and nobody would think less of me. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is not as hard as I'm making it. So it's yeah. the same anywhere. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? And especially when you're talking about something creative like food, you, you can run out of ideas. You know, It's like you can get stuck on your own stuff and not and one person has to say one thing and it opens a whole world yeah it's like writer's block yeah that's the best thing about cookbooks is you're not necessarily using the recipes just looking at just looking at pictures and getting inspiration from the ingredients and and different techniques and and sometimes you just need that yeah never thought of using that in a different way yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um what made you guys well we should step back you're doing sunday night pig roasts now what was the thought about that? We've gone down and tried it, and it was really fun to see them. We got down there early enough so we could see them pull it out of the thing. On, and it's right on the corner. Mm-hmm. That's fun, too, that it's right out there where anybody can see what it's, what's happening. Yeah, yeah. we wanted to do something. Except your insurance broker. <laughs> <laughs> we have signs that say, caution hot. You know, I think that gets us out of any lawyer issues, any lawsuits. Um, no, uh, we, we wanted to do something on Sundays that would uh, kind of showcase the, the Bell Street Park that the town, that the city put in. Um, okay. a, lot, a lot of foot traffic now down in Belltown with, with um, all the new condominiums and high-rises going up and people kind of going back and in, in living in, the, in, yeah. in the downtown in the city. Uh, so we wanted to do something on Sundays to bring people in. We've got these four big garage doors that open up. Yeah. Um, and so it, with the summer, we wanted to do something. So we decided, we thought, hey, let's do pig roast. Let's do it. You know, we kind of bounced some ideas. Let's do it once a month. I said, why don't we do it once a week? Let's do it every Sunday. Um, yeah. So we bought this thing. It's called a Cajachina. It's a, it's a giant pig roasting box. If you imagine <laughs> a, a wheelbarrow, it kind of looks like a wheelbarrow and, uh, and a coffin. And, a, uh, and stainless steel. Stainless steel. <laughs> yeah. And there's black diamond plating. It's, it's pretty sweet. It's actually, it's a cremation device. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it is. Yeah. You can cremate the pig. We, we don't, <laughs> we don't cremate it though. We get close. Uh, but it's, it's, it's great. It's called Cajachina. Uh, it was uh, invented by the Chinese immigrants in Cuba. Oh. Um, and then a, a father and son uh, started building them in Miami. Um, and wow. they have all different ones you can buy. You can buy cheap ones. You can buy expensive ones, big ones, small ones. And it's essentially a outdoor pressure cooker slash oven oh. um, where you can cook whole an- whole animals and you can do goats, you can do pigs. We've done... Oh, my gosh. For St. Patty's Day, we put corned beefs in there uh, and roasted <laughs> those. Um, but, yeah, you cook with coals on top. So you don't actually, you can't actually see the pig. You can't yeah. see it until you pull it out because if you open it, you lose all the pressure and the heat. So okay. don't come by thinking you're going to see a pig on a spit. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. So it's pressure because I was wondering about that when I looked. I thought, well, all the coals are on top, so the heat rises. Why is this working? And now I now I get it. Yeah, you get the radiant heat from the coals pushing down on the pig, and then it also kind of steams. You can see steam coming out the edges of the box, and it kind of steams it. So you cook. We'll cook a sixty pound pig in four hours. It's really, wow! With only fifty pounds of charcoal. That's amazing. Very, very you put any kind of leaves in there, banana leaves or tequila leaves, yucca. <laughs> tequila leaves. <laughs> Close, no leaves. Uh, but we do uh, we do a marinade uh, with oranges and lemons and limes. Uh, we do oregano, garlic, okay. myriad of different spices, and we do an injection. We make yeah. a marinade, we inject it, and then we take all the solids and rub it on the rib cage. And you yeah. basically cook you cook the pig upside down. Um, then you also use um, some. Some of that orange and lemon things to make a dip, not like a dip, but a, a little 
Yeah, what am I trying dripping, to say? Dripping sauce. Yeah. yeah. So as the pig roasts uh, in the bottom of the uh, uh, of the box, there's a drip pan, and so all those juices that we've marinated uh, the pig with, and the pig juices, they come out. And my mouth is watering. I know. <laughs> uh, uh, come out, and uh, you know, we we take the pig into the kitchen, break it down, and take those those drippings. And serve it with the pig. Uh, it comes with the seasonal sides. Uh, we've been doing spring asparagus with roasted, roasted salt roasted potatoes, oh, yeah. uh, but we're going to switch that up as it, now that it's summer. Um, uh, and you get some of the garlic drippings, you get some crispy skin, and we just pull all the meat and mix it together. Oh man, uh, that's great! And you come in and, and uh, you can get it individually plated, but if it's more than one, we do it family style on a big cutting board. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of a, a, a just a big kind of dig in dining yeah. experience. Yeah, that's you sh- fun. You, you save all the bones and make a stock with them. We don't. We don't save the bones. Uh, they've already been roasted. Although we probably should. Uh, yeah. They go home to everybody's dogs. Yeah, that's right. We put the head. We put. We put the head after we pull all the meat out of the jowls. We put the head on the top of the box uh, outside oh. for a little bit of free advertising <laughs> and a warning to other pigs. Yes, that's right. For the next one, the next week. Be very afraid. Well, my last question for you will wrap this up with what are some of your favorite dishes at each restaurant? And by the way, if we didn't say it, the pig roast is at Bell and Wheat. It's at Bell and Wheat. Yeah. Uh We start every day at 5 o'clock. The pig comes out of the box at 4.30. We start serving at 5 o'clock. We roast it all day. We start uh, exactly at 12.15. Wow. The coals have to be lit. But yeah, uh, we start serving it at 5 and and, uh, sell it till it's gone. Oh, that's fabulous and it it can go fast or if it's a slower night you might be able to get it later in the evening mm-hmm. yeah. yeah absolutely it can go very fast and a lot of it depends on the weather too if it's nice yes. outside people are on the patio they're, they're smelling the pig oh yeah uh, that's the thing yeah. isn't it because it's right in the neighborhood there's a lot of apartments and condos down there yeah it must be like they smell and they come come running yeah. but yeah i re- definitely re- recommend calling in and, and if you make reservations let him know you're interested in the pig and we'll hold you some oh okay um, that's good to know reservations yeah. so like if somebody can't get into a little bit later yeah. in the night they've they're gonna get it if you want to ensure yeah yeah Okay, so Local 360, what's one of your favorite things on the menu? It's like asking a parent what their favorite kid is. It's like um, asking us uh, what, what our favorite restaurant is. Yeah, it's like all of it's them. It's tough. Um, or maybe let's change this question. What's on the menu now that's sort of seasonal? Something that's new. one of, And it may be something that comes back every year sure. or just something that you're really enjoying. Yeah, we just put this at 360. We, we changed it up. There's been a rabbit pate on the menu since the restaurant opened. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. It was just time to change. Um, we get these... Uh, fresh rabbits in from Nikki USA in Portland, oh, yeah. and they grow their own rabbits. That's what they're known for. That's what they built their business on. Um, and we've had rabbit on the menu since the restaurant opened. Well, you get livers and kidneys with the rabbits oh. um, every single time. Uh, so we had a lot of rabbit uh, livers. Uh, so we do a, ra- uh, a rabbit liver mousse. Um, okay. But we do, it's a custard style instead of a mousseline, like a classic mousseline style. So we set it, we set it in a... Um, in a uh, mason jar, like you would oh, a creme brulee, yeah. uh, and then we do a gelée on top of that. It's uh, Airfield uh, Late Harvest Riesling gelée on top, uh, oh, shallot agro dolce, and then some fresh Washington cherries, uh, oh, a little man. warm sourdough. Yeah, it's a great thing to start your meal with. So. Oh, that sounds great. Mm, yeah, that's one of the new items. Uh, now my mouth is watering. We should <laughs> never do it this early in the morning. <laughs> should have brought some. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now. Bell and Wheat, what's on the menu right now that's 
Besides the pig. The pig is kind of the big thing right now. That is, that is tough. Um, with the summer coming around, we put, uh, we put a a kind of a shareable, uh, uh, chilled seafood platter and we didn't want to call it that. So we call it the, uh, uh, chilled ocean snacks. Uh, (laughs) so there's four different items on there. We do, uh, smoked and chilled, uh, mussels. Uh, there's three premium oysters, typically shigokus or, or Mm. kushis. Um, we do a little, um, a um, verjou granite on top of each one, so oh, yeah. it's cold and crunchy yeah. and, and refreshing. Um, there's some poached Gulf shrimp, um, and then uh, the one of the uh, the cooks decides on a uh, a fresh crudo that goes in the middle. Oh, so uh, right right now, I think we're running marbled king salmon and maybe albacore when albacore comes out, and kind of gives the cooks the freedom to kind of play around and do what they want. So, yeah, yeah, rotating crudo. That's a great thing to have on the patio when it's nice and hot. That's great. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been really fun. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming over. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You bet. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Ponte Seafood Grill. Hi, this is Dan, manager of Bix Broadview Grill in beautiful North Seattle, and you're listening to Seattle Dining Show. We are back, and uh, it's been quite a packed show, I gotta say. Uh, some great guests, some great information about what's going on this month. But before we leave you, uh, I'm gonna share a kitchen tip because I don't want to just, you know, say this is the outro and say goodbye. I want to fill it up with a little more space. <laughs> um, here's my kitchen tip um, you know, you can buy a lot of meat at a lot of restaurants. And for the most part, you're not going to get grass-fed, and you're not going to get organic. But you're going to pay a good amount of money for it. So my suggestion is, the next time you think about dropping $40 down on a prime rib at a super nice restaurant in Seattle, I'm not saying don't go do that, but you owe it to yourself to go out and get a really nice cut of meat at a place like PCC that sells organic grass-fed beef. And yes, it's going to be expensive, but it won't be $40. You'll be able to do two people for probably 25 bucks on something like a beef tenderloin. Take it home, make it, enjoy your omega-3s that you're not going to get in regular meat. And uh, it's an excellent, healthy choice. And that's how I justify spending that money on buying something good for me to eat is that I'm paying less for it than when I go and order its its non-natural, non-organic, non-grass-fed counterpart when I'm out dining somewhere. And I can attest to how great it tastes when you've barbecued that out on your patio. That was mm. awesome. Anyways. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on the show today. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just visit www.seattledining.com and click on subscribe free. We want you to dine well, dine safe, and dine often. And don't cook like Tom's mother. And don't cook like my mother. We'll see you next month. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music, a Fremont icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Doghouse, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine, online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the seattle dining show